So, kia ora morena. How you doing? Hard to, hard to answer that question. Um, if we can swap over to the um, Apple TV, that would be great. Oh, uh, can you help, James? Thanks. Um, so we've been doing a bit of a series, um, trying to explore loving your neighbour, loving God and loving your neighbour as yourself, which is tricky. Um, and actually, uh, but before I get into that, just to let you know, if you've been looking at the newsletter, there's a couple of events coming up on a Sunday night and a few other nights we're running some um, vision-related evenings. We've gotten some basic work about our vision, and we're wanting to run it past some people and actually have a look and tie kick and this, this looking to flesh it out, see if there's better ways to say some things. So if you're free on Sunday night next week, and I think uh, they're in the newsletter. Um, you don't, the intention is not that you need to come to all of them, but if you're able to come to one, that would be lovely. Um, anyway, we're talking about trying to neighbour well. What does that look like? And uh, some of the things we've done so far, we had a look at a, uh, what I think was, we've had a form out here, there's a sheet, copies of it out on the table out there, asking you to think, well, who are your neighbours? Who are the people you are alongside? And think about well, what... It's difficult to love someone if you don't know their name or anything about them or if you're never connected with them. So do you know their names? What do you know? And part of that is an invitation to think, how might I have more of a relationship? And then the first set of questions, I went looking for some help on this topic. I kind of figured, well, to get to know others, it's helpful if you can talk together, was looking for questions that might make meaningful conversations. And one of them was, where do you come from? Which is a great question. I still think if you're starting off with someone, a great question. People can answer it all sorts of different ways. And we all have some journey so far. And we had a Sunday where we did some uh, almost like speed dating, sort of short conversations together, just practicing this. Now, this is not because I think you're a terrible conversationalist. It may be because I am um, rather than you. Um, but a sense that actually if we're wanting to connect with others, then part of it is this. Now, and I've gone about this not with the sense that I have all the answers. Okay? It's not that I believe that at all. Um, I suspect that none of us have all the answers. So I went looking for outside sources, and the, they came up with this great set of questions, good questions, um, nice, safe questions you could move on to, but the next question that they came up with was a little less safe. And the question was, where do you hurt? Now, if that immediately makes you feel vulnerable, Relax, I'm not going to ask you to talk to your neighbour about that. Okay, safe space. Okay. Um, everybody carries a measure of hurt in life. In Mark 5, Jesus has been approached by a man who has a sick kid who's dying. And he's on his way to help. And uh, now, remember, so there's a level of hurt there. And there's a woman in the crowd that's been following him who's had internal bleeding, or has been bleeding for 12 years. And now, we've got a fantastic health system in New Zealand. I'm a huge fan. It is absolutely brilliant. They, um, if something is clear-cut, they'll discover it, and they will solve it as quickly as they can. And as a minister, I've seen that a whole bunch of times. I've also seen there are some conditions that are vague, difficult to pin down, and the, our health system can struggle with those. It's harder to know what to do with them. And this is a woman who probably has one of those things that's hard to pin down in their culture, almost impossible to pin down. And she's been um, bleeding for 12 years, which probably means that she can't, uh, she's unclean, she can't engage in things the way that she might normally. Um, and there is no medical system 
that's working that well for her. Mark points out that she has suffered under the care of many doctors and spent all she had and her condition had got worse. So 12 years of quite harsh suffering. Now, if you've been on Earth for a while, you'll have discovered that all of us carry hurt. Some of it's physical as you get older. The, 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 the joints can complain. Getting up in the morning is not necessarily the great joy it is when you're young. Not that it ever is then. The knee aches, the hip that's sore, the parts of the body that start the day with an ouch. But we also carry other hurts, don't we? We carry other hurts where maybe they're internal, things that have happened that have shaped us. This woman, after 12 years of struggling with a medical system, well, what would you say if you met her? The thing about hurt is it's best not to play comparison games with it. She's hurting, but you know, Hannah in, um, in 1 Samuel, Hannah is longing for a child and has been unable to have one. And that happens over a long period of time and so she carries hurt. David builds up a relationship with, um, with King Saul. You know he's been really helpful. How do you reckon he feels for then when Saul is trying to kill him and he's running away and riding in a hiding in a cave. He carries hurt. He even ends up in one case in front of another king having to pretend to be mentally ill and he says, look and see there's no one at my right hand, no one is concerned for me, I have no refuge, no one cares for my life. That's David in Psalm 142. No one gets through life pain free, bruise free, we carry hurt. Even worse, when he gets, David gets confronted by Nathan, caught out for manipulating a friend's death, and he says, I know my transgressions, my sin is always before me. Not all of our hurt is other people's, we carry hurt. Living in a broken world, and being a bit broken ourselves, we carry hurt and we hurt others. And in the West, we've got a really clear cause-effect mindset. We like to figure out you got hurt, so how did that happen? How can we fix that? Yep, what's the story there? And that's helpful when we do that, and sometimes really unhelpful. The Bible tries to ride shotgun on that way of thinking. There's a book, the book of Job, that seems to exist pretty much to try and ride shotgun on this cause-effect. Because here is a person who's regarded as righteous, he's doing the right things, and then his business collapses, his house burns down, his family dies, and he gets some kind of monkey, monkey pox skin condition, and he sits in the ashes of his burnt-down house and scrapes his skin with a bit of old pottery, and he did nothing wrong. Right, there is not a matter of straight cause and effect here. And at the end of the book, he says to God, Come on, explain yourself. And God says, okay, oh, well, when you can sit down and build a star system and birth a whale, we can have that conversation. Um, but until then, I'll be God and you be human. A book to say that cause and effect is not always the case. Yep. So let's not make any assumptions the woman's done anything wrong. She's carrying hurt. She has a painful medical condition. We all carry hurt. Now, I don't want to be dark and I don't want to live there, but ah, I carry hurt. Do you, do you know, some of the time I don't know I carry hurt. It's happened to you. You suddenly find yourself in conversation and something comes out and you go, oh, 
where did that come from? And if they're really good friends, they might say, where did that come from, Colin? You go, oh, I've still got that hurt there. No, no, you're more mature than that. You don't have that issue. We carry hurt. Even Jesus carries hurt. As I've got older, I've come to understand that so does God, what it would be like for God the Father to watch his son hanging on a cross, knowing you could intervene and stop this and let it happen. The heart of God carries hurt. It is the astonishing thing about the Christian God is God comes to a human embracing hurt and pain. And how do we deal with that hurt and pain? What do you reckon? Well, we process it differently. Some people instantly need to talk it out. In the West, we kind of like to bury hurt, don't we? Low down enough so you can't see it. Certainly you come to church, public services, and we come, and generally come, we wanting to look good. Or at least not look bad. Um, and at public gatherings, you know, it can be embarrassing. I have strong memories. Uh, my mother died when I was in my 20s, and I have strong memories of the three of us, uh, my two brothers and me, in the funeral, determinedly we weren't going to cry. So we successfully made it through the funeral without crying. I should get a medal or a kick in the pants. It was a really dumb thing to do. We carry hurt, and it can be embarrassing for people to see that, and even in church. In one of my first churches, there was a chap who would finish most services by crying. He just needed to cry. He carried a lot of hurt. And actually all he needed was someone to sit next to him, maybe pray a little bit, but just, it's okay. And that can be a frightening and embarrassing place if you've got hurt bursting up and no one else is. About a year after Linda and I got knocked off our bikes, uh, I had my daughter diagnose me of having chronic pain, hip pain. And so I went to a physio, and to my shock and horror, well, to my shock, what I discovered is that I didn't really know when I was in pain. The first meeting was, um, can you just, you know, I want you to take a note when you feel pain. And I want you to notice what else is happening there. And I kind of, after a wee while, I realized, oh, I'm kind of not aware of this. So, tough question for us all, where do you hurt? In um, church circles, we like to pretend that it can all be fixed like that. Um, and sometimes it can, but there's a lot of things people have to live their way through, endure their way through. Jesus does this. Things where there is no easy, quick solution, and so we wear grief like a heavy coat that it's hard to take off. And some of our grieving is day by day. It just kind of wears into us. Places where it can be hard to hold on to hope. So I did want to pause for a moment, just for you, and ask you to consider, <coughs> and maybe have an internal conversation with God, oh, for a minute or so. For you and your life, where are you carrying hurt? And then there's a second question in here, just kind of what are the things you're realizing? I'm just having to live my way through this. So this is a chance for you for a moment to reflect on that. And after 30 seconds or a minute, I'll jump back in.
So for you to think about the cases, where do you carry hurt? What are the things you're living through? no sense of judgment for whatever position you find yourself in. Um, and uh, it might be at this stage appropriate to say, hang on, we're talking about talking with others. How come you're talking about us? I think if we're going to ask someone a question that allows them to talk about their hurt, then we need to be aware of our own. In the Ignatian prayer tradition, they have these two words, consolation and desolation. What they're trying to say, they try and ask people to pay attention to this. They say, there are in our lives at all times movements towards God and away from God. They're just unfolding. And so they ask prayers to notice, well, the movements towards God they call consolation and the movements where you recognise I'm moving away from God. Actually, I just don't want to spend time with God. I just, they call them desolations. Consolation, they think, is getting more taken up in the love of God, growing in faith, love and hope being strengthened and encouraged, a desire to serve God and connect with God in all things. And desolation is described as darkness, emptiness, lazy complacency, inner turmoil, sadness, despair, selfishness, rebellion, feeling distance from God. And they say, it's not so much about your feeling, but they say, if you think of your life as a computer screen, then you could say, consolation means God is on the computer screen. It's not that life is perfect, but you've got a sort of sense of, yes, God, you're with me in this. And desolation is with, no, there's no God there. So it's a good question for um, pain is just to think, well, what's it doing to you? Is it pushing you towards God or away? Is what you're experiencing something that is? And if you find yourself in a place of desolation, well, if you find yourself in a place of consolation, nice thing to talk about with God and say, thank you, God. I'm really appreciating your presence. And if you find yourself in a place where you're moving away from God, the Ignatians would say, that too is something to talk with God about. What's going on, God? Why, what's, why am I finding this in position? Can you help me? Another even briefer pause. What is your hurt doing to you? Is it pushing you towards God? Or is it pushing you away? I've failed to build a biblical argument for me, but it's an argument for this, but it does seem to be that if you are able to talk about the places of hurt with other people, then what happens is you get some of them from locked up inside of you, out in front of you, and they can be looked at. There's some value in talking about hurt with others. But this is not something you're going to just 
I've got one minute free as I pass someone in the supermarket. Am I going to ask, where does it hurt? No. Uh, it is actually, I think, quite a legitimate question to ask, where does it hurt? Because we do carry this. In the story we started with in Mark 5, when she hears about Jesus, she comes up behind him and touches his cloak because she thinks, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. And immediately her bleeding stops and she feels in her body she's free from her suffering, which is just magic, isn't it? Fantastic, happy story. Story can stop there. Bleeding's gone away. Well done, Jesus, you've done the thing. But no, the moment Jesus realises that power's gone out of him, he turns around and says, who touched my clothes? And the disciples think, you're crazy, because there's so many people jostling around. And he won't let it go. He keeps looking around. And then the woman, knowing what happens, comes and falls at his feet. Scared. She's stolen his power. And he says to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Be freed from your suffering. It wasn't good enough for Jesus just for the healing to take place, the physical healing. He wanted some kind of relationship. I think he wanted to know she's loved and healed. The pain and hurt that we live with that is not instantly solved, we live our way through and I think we are loved our way through. We're called not to converse with our neighbours, though clearly that we're trying to, but to love them. The promise of healing in Jesus goes along with promises of suffering and the need to endure and count it all joy. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 12 about being given a thorn in my flesh that torments him. And he asks God to take it away. And God's reply is, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Now, God still does heal people, but we carry hurt. Lots of people carry hurt. And when you deal with someone who is hurting, and that's most of us, probably good to put down some of your agendas. You don't rush here. Where does it hurt? Only a fool rushes here, and there are some fools. Um, if you ask the woman who spent 12 years struggling for a um, with a bleeding disorder, you'd better have time. <laughs> you'd better not rush off. And it might be good not to say too much. Maybe good to let her set the agenda, which doesn't always happen. This lady in the background is um, Amy Kenny. She's written a book called My Body is Not a Prayer Request. She lives with disability, and here's how the book starts. <clears throat> God told me to pray for you, she says. Her words linger like cloying perfume in a claustrophobic space. God wants to heal you, and she's undoubtedly thrilled with this opportunity. Amy writes, I've been here before. It never ends well. This woman does not know me. She doesn't have the intimacy that prayer or accountability or sarcasm require. She simply interprets my cane as something that needs fixing and ropes God in, into her ableism, the belief that disabled people are less valuable or less human than our non-disabled counterparts. She writes, internally I make a swift calculation, endure the prayer to avoid a squabble, or call her out on her benevol benevolent eugenics and be branded a heretic again. I'll just read one sentence of that before. 
She doesn't have the intimacy that prayer or accountability or sarcasm require. What's she missing? She's missing relationship. I had a brief experience of this after my accident um, when I was in crutches and in a couple of meeting settings I was pounced on by well-minded people who wanted to pray for my hip. They wanted to fix me. And I, I would have very happily been fixed. But they, that probably wasn't the thing that I wanted more. Um, in those cases, none of them said, what would you like me to pray? Or, how's it going, Colin? Or even asked afterwards, they wanted the fix. And actually, I didn't really like that. Amy rightly says that her body, disabled though it is, is as much a temple of the Holy Spirit as is anyone's. So maybe where do you hurt is not a question for everyone, all people, all, all times. But it's worth asking. There are times. I have a minister friend who's very bad with people. I think he's terrible with people. It's not me. Um, and he has seemingly no emotional intelligence. But you know, in a meeting, when someone gets heated, do you know what he says? He says, there's a lot of emotion in what you're saying. And then he pauses. Gosh, it's good. As soon as he names it as emotion, people tell him about it. And it's like, I, I, I'm kind of amazed by the guy because I've always thought, you know, he, well, if, look, everybody's on a scale. <laughs> and yet he's just learned to say, oh, there's emotion in it. Oh, I'm sensing emotion in how you speak. Are you feeling angry about something? And then he just steps back and off they go. It's really impressive. I want to summarize, and then I've asked Anita to come up and just ask a little conversation about this. Everybody carries hurt. We all have things we live through, and I don't think there's a simple formula for that. Love carries us through. I think there are times when it's worth asking, is the things happening in my life, are they pulling me towards God or pushing me away? What do I do about that? And then I'd say, actually, I'd love to be in the position to have this conversation but it takes time, and I think that if we go there, then we need to be very careful of our agendas. It's my summary so far. Anita's going to come, we're going to have a wee chat, and then at the end of that, I'm just going to give the opportunity for a couple of questions and answers, if anyone has, or questions and non-answers. Thanks for coming up, Anita. We're having a wee chat because um, I've had this where does it hurt question playing around all week. Absolutely, no problems. It's hard to know what to do with masks, eh? Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to put them on my wrist now, because otherwise I get down from here and I lift... Yeah, okay. Um, so we had a wee... Just at the beginning of a discussion, and I, I kind of went, you know, we've reflected a bit, you've got built up a relationship with neighbours. What happened, when you hear the word, when you hear the question, where does it hurt, what goes on in you? Um, <clears throat> um, sometimes it hurts you to actually spend time with your neighbours. Um, and I think sometimes there are hurts in our neighbours that we need to acknowledge we can't help. Um, there is a cost to loving your neighbour. And um, I've had several discussions about this with different people, about just loving your neighbour. or And... Um, what I find really good about this focus is that we're not just talking about the neighbours that we live in the street with. 
we're um, talking about those that we work with um, and those that we perhaps meet each week in an activity. It could be craft group, it could be um, your home group even. And it's being sensitive to the fact that you don't have all the answers and you're not called to have all the answers. Um, can I, I'll share some stories, shall yeah, I? Yeah, <laughs> okay. great. So um, I want to share a story about a girl who... Um, this is before I married Mike. It's when I lived um, in a very small town. And uh, I flattered with a, another lady and... We had a, a neighbour across the road that we had noticed. Um, her name was Michelle. And we um, were both Christians, and we wanted to reach our neighbours, not just we were in youth group ministry, but we were also, um, yeah, we noticed her. You know, I guess God put her across our path. So our relationship with her started by simply waving at each other at the letterbox, saying hello. We lived in a street where there weren't six-foot-high fences, and so it was easy to stay high and stop at the letterbox and ask how your day was. And that moved on to inviting her over for a cuppa and learning a little bit more about what did she do, what did she do for fun, her sense of humour, which was usually bad, (laughs) or crass is probably the way I put it. Um, But we knew her for probably a good three years before she would start to open up where she hurt. And she would say things during our time together um, that we could tell that she was hurting. And we, um, the first thing I really learned about people who don't know God and haven't really heard much about him is that instead of saying, I will pray for you, like the lady in the story, it was actually asking permission. Can I pray for you? And what would you like us to pray? Because actually you're offending people if you assume you, can, you know the answer to their problems and their hurt. And I really um, felt with Michelle that um, we had to be really gentle with her. We couldn't assume what, what, was, what we could see with our human eyes doesn't mean that that's where she was really hurting. And um, our relationship with her wasn't all about God. It was about being her friend. Because actually, you need to be genuine with people and you need to share who you are with people. And we would do practical... We went through a... She had a wacky sense of humour. And so we plotted practical jokes for a particular street that one of our youth group girls lived in. And... um, we decided that we would do several practical jokes. And the one thing that really struck us was that she said to us, I didn't know Christians had a sense of humour. Um, <laughs> we were real with her. We didn't pretend to be anything else but ourselves. And I think that's when she opened up with us and she shared some hurts. And she had lots of pain in her life from childhood, from people as an adult. And it was great just to be honest and open with her. Um, she's since passed away um, and her mum spoke to my, my friend and just said how grateful she was for the fact that we were real Christians with her daughter and it was pretty impactful for us 
because we didn't think we were doing anything unusual. We were just being her friend. And I don't think God asks us to do anything else. Is to, But I, I want to share something with you today about some three, three things that we can do, I guess, um, as Christians. And I think um, one is we can spread, be joy spreaders. That we don't need to condemn people for their sin. We don't need to judge, but we need to be joy spreaders. And that might mean being kind to your neighbour. It might mean inviting them in for a coffee. Knowing their life is a mess and knowing they're hurting, but still loving them anyhow. It might mean that that workmate that really annoys you at work, who goes out of their way to bug you, to um, disagree with you, it might mean that you actually show them an act of kindness. Whether you get them their favourite drink one day, or whether you let them go first, or whether you just sit and listen to their moaning about how terrible your workplace is. But it's, it's showing them that they're important. No matter whether you agree with them or not, it's showing them that they're important. Um, I, yesterday I went to do, see a friend, a lady I've got to know over the last 10 years. And she, I met her at the library cafe. And um, she's someone I've casually talked to for the last 10 years. And this year she's had a pretty rough year. But I went to see with her. I thought, I'll go, I'll text you, would you like a coffee? So I text her. And she said, yep, that'd be great. I really need to do something. Okay. So I went and had coffee. I thought, all right, I'll be half an hour. I'll be home again and we'll get on with the rest of our day. Um, Three hours later, uh, she shared so much, so much hurt, so much trauma, and I didn't try and solve it, and I didn't try and say, hey, well, I know what's wrong with you. I just said, do you think perhaps you should think about getting some help at some stage, and left it that. And um, I guess in my conversations within anything, it's just being a listener is really key, and not assuming you have the answer. Yeah. No, that's good. Um, what does this mean for us as a community? Well, we'd want to be one that could be honest about where it hurts um, and that could love each other through when we do and don't have answers. Mm. It'd probably be one where we, it would be good for all of us to be aware of the hurt that we ourselves carry mm. and to accept it enough that it's okay for other people to see it. Um, and that's about... Look, I, I was really struck as I was reading through this about people who had love carries you through difficult stuff. Um, I don't have a simple solution for that. Um, it's partly why we know as a community we want to have enough relationship together that we can love each other um, and not all be defined by task. That's right. Yeah, yeah I think um, there, there are people here in this church who are hurting and we um, don't want to be vulnerable necessarily until we trust the person we're talking to. And I think um, we want to be a community of love where we can be that vulnerable person and know we won't be judged. Um, yeah. And we kind of stumble over this one. Um, we, uh, way back, we used to have a pattern of having a set number of people up the front ready to pray for people. Um, you could go up and pray for them. Um, and we've moved more to say we would love you to be able to pray for others. We'd like you to pick someone that you'd like to pray for you, someone that you have some relationship with. Oh, we may not be getting that right, 
well, I want to flag that now because when we reach the end, um, I'd, I'd love for you, if you'd like to have someone pray with you, I'd love for you to have the opportunity. Didn't think we necessarily had all the answers, so anybody got any questions or comments they'd like to make? Something we've missed in this? Yeah, Steve? Could you hear that at the other end? Steve was saying that they've been gifted with a special Thanks, needs Steve. child and they can't have any others. But she said that she's learnt that um, to give thanks to God for that and that we need to give thanks to God for any, the situation that he's put us in. Is that right, Steve? Good. There's, there's something about not letting the hurt define us. Yep. Con- consolation. I found found those two words really striking. Is this pushing me towards God or pushing me away? Any other questions or comments? Yes. Yeah, that's right. I think um, we do need to be prepared, but we, but we need to start somewhere as well, I think. Um, and I th- I'd like to say that some people have shared stuff with me that they, and then they say, but we're not doing what you're doing. And I'm like, well, actually, yes, you are. Because, for instance, someone said to me recently um, that they had a neighbour who was obviously going through some real strife. And they said, oh, we don't really know what to do, but we invited them over for a beer. I said, great, you're started. We need to make that step to journey with people and not be afraid of what others think of us. They're more worried about what what we think of them than we are, I think, you know? So, yeah, make that step. We're all journeying. We just need to be a bit, I think, you know, by spreading the joy, I guess, you know, I was saying before, we need to step out and not be afraid. People do need us. They need to know what's in us. They need to know Jesus. And they'll see that in you if you share yourself with them honestly. And I look, I would um, equally say, look, I live with this uh, tension of, I don't want to promise that Jesus will magically fix everything. Mm. Yep. But Jesus does still heal. Um, and that actually, it's not a bad thing to say, do you mind if I pray for you? Check and see what they want, um, and ask for things, and be prepared for that. May not be how it flags out. Last comments. Yep. That's fine. I think by not pushing, that you're showing respect for them, and if they if they say no to you, then then you haven't earned that right yet. In some ways, I think. Uh, generally, when you're asking, can I pray for you, um, it's uh, here and now. Um, I, don't, I don't know. I, I, there's a business of actually, when we're in a relationship, if I am the hurter and, and Anita, there's a power dynamic there. and We need to treat that with real respect and actually, I think, give 
agenda rights to the person in the most vulnerable place. might be worth thinking about how you ask. Can I pray for you now? <laughs> but, but good Christian wrestling. Yep. Okay, well, um, it's no, you don't all have to collapse and burst into tears. We're going to close, we're going to have a song, and then there'll be tea and morning, um, morning tea, a chance to and chat about things about, that aren't hurt, um, but have it in the background. And if you would like someone to pray for you, just approach someone that you think, I'd like you to pray for me and see if they're free. Thanks.